This is a HeadGum Podcast. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, halflings! It's me, Jeremy Cobb. But Quinchult calls me Cobbsmacked. And I am joined today by... Joan Miller, also known as at a underscore wild underscore Akafan or future Dr. Jones, uh, or if you were hanging out on Jeremy's actual play last night, uh, Joni Pants. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, a, the I'm a nerd about nerd Joni stuff because I'm doing a PhD in, in nerds. <laughs> The nerd PhD, uh, the new, the new field of nerddom. Uh, but that's not all. Who's here? Who else is here? And then I try to shoot Kevin Costner. This is the wrong dungeon and the wrong dragon. Full prince vibe. Woof. <laughs> this makes them even more black. It does have an alligator with a pistol in it though. I love it. <laughs> We're about to get into something real big now. Hey, I am Navar. I'm the host and creator of the Secret Nerd Podcast. And yeah, if you um, like listening to nerds of marginalized uh, backgrounds come on the show and talk about their experiences in the TTRPG space, then you should check it out. By default, if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, you've had me. Yeah. You definitely yeah, should have had me to. and Jasper, and we've had you on. Uh, we've had both of you on, in fact. Yeah. And in fact, folks, you may be wondering, why is it that I'm hearing Jeremy and two people who, though I've heard and loved them on this show before, are not Jasper or Liv? Uh, the answer to that is because Jasper is currently on vacation, and Liv is currently a feeling under the weather, so I assembled the three Black Halfling Avengers, yes. and we are here yeah. to pick up the slack and carry this podcast across the finish line. Uh, so thank you both for assembling and answering the call. <laughs> uh, I feel like in this context, I would have to be Nick Fury? Yeah, I think by default. If I'm assembling you... Yeah. 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 Am I Nick Fury? In, am I the, am I the I three black half version of Nick Fury? Yeah. You are. Okay, you gotta, you gotta great. say a lot of motherfuckers without actually saying exactly. it. Exactly. Because it's Disney, so you can't say motherfucker. But you gotta, you gotta bring that energy. That Sam Jackson energy. <laughs> Monkey plot. I learned <laughs> yeah. that that is one of the things that was spilled in the Sony leak is that Peter Parker is never allowed to swear. Yeah. Really? Yes. Never. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like contractually obligated. He cannot say a cuss word. Oh, it also says he can't be uh, non-white. He can't be uh, gay. And he can't be a woman. Whoa. Peter Parker specifically. I d- not all I heard yeah. Andrew Garfield firing. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know that he... Th- that's crazy. Did he get fired for swearing or something? No, he got fired for missing oh. a press event uh, after, I think, having criticized Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think he criticized Amazing Ooh. Spider-Man 2 and then missed a press event because he was, like, sick or something like that. It was, like, a last-minute oh. thing that they threw at him, and he, like, w- couldn't go. And so they So fired. they were mad at him, and they used it as an excuse. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. And then they brought him back for uh, No Way Home, and everybody loved him. Yeah, Spoiler exactly. Alert. <laughs> He's a charming actor. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, but yeah, awkward. Uh, <laughs> back to the question of which Avengers we would be. Mm. I have a theory for yes. myself. Well, so it depends on what universe we're in. As you can see, if you're watching the video version of this, uh, I am a big Cap fan. So mm -hmm. if it was in the 616 universe, I would be the black female Captain America, because why the fuck not? Um, Hell yeah. I and like it. if it was we not... We haven't had one yet, have we? A black female Captain America? No. We've had yeah. multiple black male Captain Americas. I mean, black women, we're the, always the last ones in line, y'all. Like, mm. <laughs> we're always yeah. the last one to get the stuff. That said, if I was in a different Marvel Universe, if you saw Multiverse of Madness, or even the trailer for Multiverse of Madness, which is, this is a pet peeve of mine that they spoiled it in the trailer, uh, Monica Rambeau was on the Avengers, so that's who I would be. All right. Yeah, that's a good call, too. It's a strong choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how about Univar? I mean... It's gotta be Black Panther, right? Like, how, how do you not pick <laughs> yes. T'Challa? Yeah, <laughs> yes. T'Challa is an option. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always be yourself unless you Man. can be T'Challa. Otherwise, be T'Challa. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like if you're always like, if you're gonna put yourself in a fantasy world, you gotta like, what's you like? You gotta go peak, right? Like, if I was gonna make mm. a D and D character, I wouldn't be like, yeah, thirty four year old Dad Bod Navar is now my D and D character. I'd be like, no, like. 18 year old like super athletic like peak peak health condition <laughs> that's the guy that's gonna go in and be t'challa in this situation yeah um, i feel like that's so. for the like that's like the early stage though because i feel like that's what my first like major character is and now that i've played her for 20 levels i'm like let me play a decrepit old woman with a constitution of three and an intelligence of 45 who yeah. literally all she can do is cast spells and yell at people and be crotchety and old. Like, like just give me something I, wild to play. Yeah. I think that is actually, like, a legitimate progression that TTRPG players go through. Like, you start out wanting to play, like, this paragon, mm -hmm. and then after, like, a few characters, you're like, I don't know, I'm going to play... Oopster, oopster, poopster, and uh, I have like just a completely ridiculous character concept. I know a guy who's a longtime DM, and he's playing a cleric who is not allowed to do damage. Like, wow. uh, by, like the whole premise of his character that, is though. that his goddess has barred him from doing damage because I think he's a he's a war veteran uh -huh. who like died, and I think his goddess brought him back to serve her, but he's literally not allowed to hurt anybody. So all he can do is just stand in the way and then use healing and debuffs. That's it. Wow. That's that's brilliant. He's not even allowed yeah. to buff his party members. He can buff he can buff his party members, but he's not allowed to damage uh, his foes unless he's in a place where his goddess, for whatever reason, can't see him. Hmm. Then he goes ham. Or wow. what if what if his life is in danger? Does he have to let himself die? Yep. As far as I'm aware, yeah. I would just like max out everything I could to have disarming abilities, and like you know what I mean, and just like shove people mm -hmm. and disarm them and shove them away. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. If to you me don't have that, a weapon, you can't fight back. Well, it's interesting yeah. in a world that like where non-lethal damage is a, is a choice you can make. Like, not just mm -hmm. don't kill anybody, don't damage them. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. She is pacifist to the point. But what's interesting is he's allowed to facilitate 
other people harming them. Like he can <laughs> cast hold person on somebody so that all the allies who get who are like Marshall can auto crit, <laughs> yeah. but he's not himself allowed and to that's, cast gonna... like inflict wounds on. Them. <laughs> we're gonna let that no. one slide. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I guess the goddess really only pays attention to the specific spells and actions. She does not pay attention to the consequences. Let's be real. She has an alarm of some kind set for, like, whenever he does a hit point of damage, that's when she's paying attention. Before that and after that, she's... It's a panopticon is what it is. It's a panopticon. Yeah. Very, like, I, I, I 100% agree. She has, like, she has all this other stuff she's worrying about, but she has, like, a specific algorithm that is set to alarm her only when he does specific moves. Mm-hmm. If he yeah. doesn't do anything mm-hmm. that isn't those moves, it doesn't get triggered. So, theoretically, he could shove people. I'm not sure yeah. if if he would get in trouble for pushing somebody off of something. Because, mm. uh, like, if, if you can hold person somebody, and then yeah. they get ripped apart with, like, the paladin coming in and smiting and mm-hmm. auto-critting, uh, how is that? I feel like that's barely a step removed from just, oh, all I did was push someone, and yeah. they happened to fall off of them. If you're in a <laughs> playground fight, and one kid is holding you down, and the other kid is beating the shit out of you... Both of those two kids are getting in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Both of those kids Not are by this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he can grapple all he wants. I'm pretty no. sure he has grappled people before. So he can yeah. roll grapple. I'm pretty sure he can roll grapple attacks. But I, she's uh, got, she's just got like, that like, workplace safety ticker. That's just like, it's been 364 days since his last attack on somebody. <laughs> and just exactly. when that moves back to zero, that's when she knows damage has been done. <laughs> it's a holiday. It's a yearly holiday. Yeah. Damage day. Yeah. Oh my god, we just um, purged, didn't we? Oh no. <laughs> I actually I, I I guessed it as an NPC, uh, as a few different NPCs in this campaign. And one of them, uh, they were part of, like, the idea was that all the different NPCs I guessed it as were part of a big organization that was doing stuff separate from the main party. And so they just kept intersecting with these people. And one of them eventually gave the party a bunch of items that were, like, customized to each of the PCs. And I think he got an item that... Uh, can actually hide him from his goddess's view. I forget mm. if it has... It's, like, limited use and limited duration, but it's, like, if you absolutely need it, you can turn this on and, and, and it's open season. I'm gonna go ahead and pull an Akbar on that one and say, it's a trap. <laughs> it's not. At least my character didn't intend it as one. <laughs> uh, he meant to. He meant to give a legitimate gift. Well, I think it's an interesting, like, <laughs> religious dynamic to be like, yeah, I'm completely devout and I believe in this. Oh, but my God can't see me? Okay, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill you now. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. What's well, the thing? He doesn't believe in it. He's just, like, happy to be alive. Oh, that's right. He just, yeah, he just got brought back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it was literally, like, he was this, like, amoral soldier who was, you know, complicit in all sorts of terrible things when he was alive. And then I think he either was killed I think he fully was killed, and then for whatever reason got brought back. And she was like, I'll bring you back, but you have to do it under these conditions. So I don't think he actually likes her much I feel like that's... or cares about her beyond what she does for him. Hmm. I feel like I would, if I was DMing that, and this is prob- probably would be controversial, but if I was DMing that, I feel like I would force, not force, encourage them to switch to a warlock. Because mm. it's a different relationship than a cleric and if i feel like if you don't believe in the god that you're a cleric of then you don't have your powers that's a fair point i think i can definitely see where you're coming from there uh i can like 
I don't have a problem with the DM letting him play kind of the, the character that he wants to play. But I do agree that if we're trying to go in like with the idea that warlocks are purely like are purely transactional without mm-hmm. any of the extra stuff of like, oh, I believe in you, therefore I'm getting stuff. Uh, and clerics are like, oh, I believe in a being or a set of principles or something, and mm-hmm. therefore my belief is giving me powers. I, I would have to agree. Uh, it seems like he doesn't. He definitely believes the goddess exists, right? But it's it's the the actual relationship is closer to a classic warlock scenario. Yeah. I have to agree. Like if I'm a goddess and you're gonna be like, you don't actually believe in any of my tenets. Either there's got to be some other reason this goddess wants this person as a cleric, if she's still allowing him to have powers. Mm. Something like that. Like I gotta, like I gotta feel like it's earned somehow. Yeah. Yeah. At least, or that's like... What do you like, think, Navar? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this explicit relationship of a cleric to its deity, to their deity, is like, it is very much like you believe and you're devout and that's why you get your powers. And if you stop doing that, then that's why you wouldn't have power. So yeah, I do wonder in that sense of like, well, why, why, why this soldier? And what's the mm-hmm. point of continuing this thing is it just for fun like are you just like is this a chaotic neutral goddess who's just like i just thought this would be a good time to watch this person have to do things that they wouldn't necessarily do or yeah i I don't know it just seems like when you have like a deity who's not necessarily sensible in that way it's it it is an interesting way to look at it because we always put deities up on a pillar of like you know they're these all-knowing, all-seeing, um, mm-hmm. infallibly logical type of thing, um, which, of course, is not true. But, like, you know, that's kind of the yeah. way that we look at it. And so it is an interesting dynamic in that way. It makes you wonder, which I think from a story point, you could say, okay, as the GM, how do we make this? How do we let this come out in the future and make mm-hmm. it like, oh, shit, like, this is mm-hmm. why you were actually called me here? Um, that's scary. That's terrifying now. (laughs) And I think that's the best way to look at it as, like, here's kind of a conflict between what your stated objectives are and what the rules are typically Mm -hmm. telling us to do. Can this be a point where we can generate some kind of story moment to help earn or Mm. explain this variation? I also think like i would rather play a cleric than a warlock i think a warlock is just a multi-class fodder that's my that's my hot take mm. come after me but i just <laughs> i just don't think they're that it's that good of a class by itself and so i would rather play a cleric because you're a full caster you have all this other extra cool stuff but i do think that there needs to be a story tie-in that makes sense and it doesn't necessarily have to be the players have to know now i think it's it'd be mm-hmm. cool to have the gm come up with it down the line and be like surprise mm-hmm. you know yeah the person mm-hmm. you thought you were um, because a god could just change their appearance, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah you thought you were. <laughs> oh, for sure. Very true. Like, the the god could have been there the whole time, being <laughs> yeah. like, you weren't really dedicated. It's undercover boss. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. undercover boss. Every person he kills is actually the god in disguise. My oh, brain just no. went five different places really quickly. It was how much experience points really cost. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so- uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Uh, Kung Fu. I Kenny just want to make aside. it clear that Jeremy said before we started recording that it's totally cool for us to go off on tangents. So yes, naturally we started with a ten-minute tangent. 
This is primo three black halflings tangent fodder. Uh, Ooh, yes. I have just seized the reins. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Navar. No, no, no. I was agreeing the with reins you. briefly. <laughs> I was agreeing with you. You're good. Go ahead. Okay. I will re-grab the reins and say, <laughs> but we're actually here to talk about something that is slightly more relevant to upcoming Wizards of the Coast and D&D in general, news, uh, namely the upcoming Spelljammer release, which it just occurred to me, I should look up what the actual date of that is, but I know I it's, think it's, I'm pretty sure it's August. Okay. August 18th. Uh, awesome. Well... Uh, the in the wake of this, or I, I don't know about YouTube, but I have been very excited for this release. I remember when they released the UA uh, races for Spelljammer. Uh, it sounded really cool when they did the D&D Direct announcement and turned it into, it, it was basically, they had like pirate shanties, or sea shanties that is, and and all of like the cool ship seafaring imagery, but we're going through space. I was like, oh, this sounds fun. Uh, and the, the races, the fact that they have an ooze race, I think is super cool. Like the level of creativity and uh, and silliness on display. I was a big fan, but I actually came across this. I have to shout out a uh, friend of the show, Kyle, and the Discord channel for Play Nerd Allies, uh, where someone had actually posted about this. That was where I first heard about this information. Uh, that And they shared a screenshot of a tweet that was released by the ADH, uh, ADHDM on Twitter. Mm. Uh, and it was a screenshot of a conversation in which uh, I believe that they uh, had with uh, John Tell. Let's see. Yeah, John Tell from Wizards of the Coast, the uh, the DEI director, which I don't even what does DEI stand for? Diversity, equity and inclusion. Good call. Yeah. Good call, Joan. It's um, academia yes. is constantly. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, yes, uh, they had contacted John Tell back in April. And this, I think they, they sent this tweet uh, at the end of July, basically saying that uh, the Hadozi, one of the primo races, one of, possibly one of the, other than the Ooze race, probably the flagship race that I've seen the most about being released so far, uh, which are essentially uh, ape-like so, well, more accurately, monkey-like creatures uh, that are the size of humans. Essentially, uh, they had uh, contacted Jontel to flag up the fact that there is, if you look into the original language that past uh, releases, spell, past Spelljammer releases have used around the Hadozi, it sounds not great from a racial standpoint. Some of the some of the reference points don't sound particularly good. Uh, and in that conversation, John Tell had apparently agreed that these references, which uh, we'll get into in a, just a second, uh, seem to be influenced by like slave imagery, especially American slavery. Uh, mm. And yet, in the actual promotional materials for this season, or for this, not this season, excuse me, the upcoming release, uh, Wizards has kind of spun the whole thing to be, or seemingly spun the the idea to be a reference to Planet of the Apes. <laughs> which is like, I, I don't know how much better that Planet of the Apes is pretty problematic <laughs> in its own way. So like Yeah, it's cool sci-fi, but like it's also there's a lot of issues. Like there's reason those monkeys got mad. <laughs> those apes got mad. Like so yeah, anyway. One of the yeah. things that we had a conversation with that is like very surface level, but we realized was possibly a language thing was that using apes as a catch-all and like mm. um and I 
part of it, the reason I called it, so we had a little bit of a, a text discussion just to familiarize each other with this before we started recording. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a little hung up on the fact that they were using apes to describe what it sounded to me they were saying was gorillas. Um, because obviously apes includes chimps, bonobos, us, and mm-hmm. what was it? The one I got wrong. It's not human well, baboons, it's orangutans. it's orangutans, right? Yeah, yeah. orangutans. Yeah. yeah, okay. And so, like, for me, it was a little bit, uh, like, if this is something that they're being a little careless with, like, what else were they being careless with? But also, mm. we determined that, like, not everybody refers to gorillas as gorillas, like, in other countries that sometimes all apes are just apes. Or... Rather that it was apes and monkeys are used interchangeably. Yeah, or apes are used for monkeys and gorillas. Yeah, in yeah. in some languages, I haven't seen exactly how many languages, but it seems like in a lot of the other Romance languages, as well as in German, there is not a linguistic distinction between monkeys and apes. Which in the sense that, like, there isn't a word for ape. It's just the one, yeah. the same word that refers to ape and monkey. Yes, and the same is like in Italian, Spanish. Harry primate. I checked. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know how they. I, I really want to talk to some like scientists from these countries yeah. and understand how they classify uh, these these animals. I'm sure in the uh, scientific community they just use whatever, you know. Yeah, it's but, it's a mess. There's there's that uh, there's that black kid that's on TikTok that does a bunch of like uh, animal videos. Brother Nature. I forget, isn't it? Maybe I don't. Used to it's, 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 he used Hood to go by Nature, Brother Nature. I think. And now it's and, Casual yeah. Geographic. Yes, that that's what it is. I think that might be, yeah, yeah. Where he always has a hat backwards and he holds his little mic. And but he was talking about there's one there's one gorilla that it's like genus, species, and whatever is all. It's just gorilla, gorilla, gorilla. <laughs> yeah. They, just, they picked gorilla for every single one. So it's it's a mess. Yeah. Um, let's be honest. Very true. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I guess uh, part of that is also just like uh, the historical use of the word ape as a slur against black folks doesn't make it any better that they're using the term in a way that's a little sloppy yes Mm -hmm. well and here's i think where we really run into our first our first point of like hey wait a minute because when they initially announced them i didn't have a problem like okay yeah they're ape looking monkey looking people running around cool i like that idea i know jasper said on the show that he's super excited to play as a monkey person uh Mm. sounds great to me but if if, as soon as we go to the forgotten realms page the very first thing that is said about hadozi is hadozi also known as deck apes uh were simian humanoids with distinctive patagia which are essentially the the wings the gliding wings that they have uh or i guess the gliding membranes more accurately because they're not really wings, known for their love of sailing. Now, what's interesting about this, aside from just the terminology of deck ape, uh, if you look at other sources, Mm -hmm. they specifically refer to deck ape as a slur. Mm -hmm. It changes over time. Mm -hmm. So it looks like, based on what we were talking about in our little chat, that uh, it started where they just straight up said, yeah, they're called deck apes. And that was in, I want to say, the first third edition spell jam. It looks like they may have even existed in t- second edition. Okay. Oh, no, it looks like they came out in third edition and then maybe got revamped for Yeah, 3. and then 5, in 3.5. But there was, a, there was like a version in, in second edition that was different than the... the yeah, so basically it was like they called them the N-word and then we're like, 10 minutes later, we're like... <laughs> 
People who are racist might call them the N word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, yes, it is a yeah. weird thing to have because mm. uh, it, it literally like when, um, there was a website that I found uh, called the Creature Codex, which I can't tell what book. I think it might be quoting from the Stormrack book, but when it when it starts to describe them, uh, it has. Oh, it says the uh, Hadozi originally appeared in Spelljammer as a monster, not a playable race. In fact, the Stormrack art gallery refers to them as Hazaru, uh, suggesting they were originally a separate creature before getting combined with the Spelljammer version. Uh, but the actual entry that they have here, uh, it says when it starts like actually describing them as uh, what they're like, it says uh, Hadozis are pongid humanoids, uh, sometimes dismissively referred to as deck apes by the ignorant or prejudiced so i agree with you i think they're trying to be like well that's what we used to call them but we're advanced now yeah exactly <laughs> like we've moved on but we, we're still we including a new edition of DD. so clearly we're <laughs> yes the old names I mean, you used were slurs now yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. guys in the future we just cut the whole deck apes thing you don't need that <laughs> yes. sentence it's it's okay to just drop well, yeah it. that's the thing like th that's a good point because now if it's introduced into the new Spelljammer book, e even if it's in there as like, this is a thing we shouldn't say, it's a, a thing that people will say in their games yeah. because you've given them the language to say it. Mm -hmm. um, Pathfinder has a good example of this. There's a... Um, uh, God, I forget what it is, but they're essentially they're a, a humanoid that is from like the Shadowlands and they have like this pale, almost see-through skin. And in the book, they give them the name that they're actually called and then they give them a name that people refer to them as, which is labeled as a slur. But people use the slur to describe them because it's given to them in the book. So like, why are we giving people the language to use in a bad way? Mm -hmm. People who are racist and and bigoted are gonna find language for it anyway let's not give them fuel to the fire that's now canon right. uh yeah. and can end up on somebody's ap or whatever well and yes. it's just it's almost like you're begging somebody to write a scene in which a pc gets called a slur like and yeah i mean even without safety tools i think we should be empathetic enough well empathy is my jam but we should be uh empathic enough to realize that maybe our players come to D&D not to be called slurs. And I think it's also worth mentioning that the most easily available description for the Hadozi on which is on the Forgotten Realms wiki. I know I don't know about you two, but when I google a D&D monster, if it's not on Wikipedia, Forgotten Realms is the first thing that comes up. So, if it's if it's not already like for free on D&D Beyond, Forgotten Realms wiki is like the first thing I see. And on the Forgotten Realms wiki, it never actually specifies that that's a slur. So you could have a, yeah. a circ and I, I checked the only mention of deck apes is at the very top. So if you if you are a PC playing this race and you happen to look at like past versions and you understand that this is a slur and you haven't communicated with the DM who maybe only checked Forgotten Realms, now you have a situation where unfortunately the PC is being referred to as a slur within the DM didn't even intend it. Like even obviously, I think in most cases you'd see it being used. It would be an intentional thing, but you do like you do have the you run the risk of accidental use as well. Can you? Imagine? Uh, I completely agree with. 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm just I'm just going back to my N word metaphor from earlier. And can you imagine just having a white DM who just came in and just was like N word, N word, N word, N word, like without realizing that that's what they were doing? <laughs> oh no! Right? No, like no, no. What would you like? Do you just get up and leave because you can't handle it? Like I mean, like the labor of trying to explain that and then making them feel better as they realize what a dick they just were like yeah yeah well that's the thing like i mean that obviously that's like a a macroaggression right like we're talking like the the amount of microaggressions that people are going to face in this situation too is going to happen because just as recently as a week or two ago i had a friend who was playing in a game it was a stream game they were playing an orc wizard and the gm was like oh, it's so weird to see an orc be intelligent and, like, used a lot of, like, yeah, really gross language like that throughout the game. Um, and that's not even, like... He's so eloquent. With weaponized deck apes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. People are still going to make this mistake. And, and like I said, we're giving them... The, or Wizard of the Coast is giving them the ammo to you know, load that gun and say, yeah, this is the thing that we're going to do. Um, here's a term that you shouldn't say, but now you know it. Uh, have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would never have said this otherwise. You would have never said it. Here yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Gary Gygax made it up. Uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, we, yeah. And well, and here's because obviously the use of the term deck apes already kind of like, well, we didn't need a slur for this. No. But I think mm-hmm. where we where it really starts to get uncomfortable is when we start to like dig deeper into the specifics yeah. of this yes. of the race. Now, before obviously, we, the idea of wing. Yeah, go ahead. Before we move on too much further, though, I did want to say I think it's important for us to recognize that Forgotten Realms Wiki is not the same thing as Wizards of the Coast putting out mm. official like like yes i don't feel like i want to hold wizards responsible for stuff that fans are doing but at the same time they Mm. they have a little bit of culpability for creating the conditions for that to happen in the first place Mm. and the other thing is that all of these all of these sentences or all of these statements are cited from wizards books so it's like the deck apes thing is something that they published uh it's incorrectly to a degree but i'll allow it sure i mean in, at least in the case of the the references to the storm rack book mm-hmm. we've I, i've been able to verify at least the ones that i've seen that are also in there and it, like for example in the actual i found a pdf of the book storm rack which was released in 2005 and when it starts talking about them as a race it says in the first sentence a race of simian like humanoids hadozi are often referred to as quote winged deck apes it's the first sentence. That's the so, and then the next sentence is: it's easy to see where they would come by such a moniker. Uh, and starts to explain. That's the third play. edition, though. That's the third edition, not the three point five edition, because I have the three point five edition. And remember, and when I showed it to you, it's that's the the three to the three point five is where they make the transition from saying we're going to call them this to racist people call them that. So, and I think for me, just like the the fact that the wiki doesn't include the this is a slur means that well in academic circles i would say it's a it's an incorrect citation because you're citing an older edition than the most current you know what i'm saying like that's not the current the most current version of that statement and because in this case it is 
it's a very crucial distinction. <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm nitpicking because yeah. I'm a nerd about nerds. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah, I think it's an. I think it is. That is an an important distinction, um, because obviously it does say that like they learned whether somebody told them like, Hey, this isn't cool or they figured it out on their own. Like they learned and made the change. But I also think it's important as we discuss it, because this is the information that's available to people most excessively that we look at. Did it, you know, how did it come about in the first place and how are people going to read that and translate it themselves as well? Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, John. Yeah. I think that's no, that's and a good I think point. you're right yeah. too. Like it is, it's not that we let wizards off the hook, but also like, I guess it reminds me of an argument that I made for a book chapter that I wrote about cross-racial cosplay and like if we are cosplaying people of a different race there was when I wrote the first draft and shared it with my friends there was a lot of pushback uh, about the ethics of playing and like cosplay it's just for fun so we shouldn't have to worry about you know things like racism like oppression and stuff stuff yeah and i think i mean i originally wrote this in like 2014 so i think we've come some distance since then um Mm. but like one of the things i had to argue and like just put my foot down on was to take the stance and say no as fans who are representing things to other people we have a certain we have to either make peace with the fact that we're being unethical or behave ethically. So in terms of uh, the actual culture, because I think where the real problematic stuff, because even when I had initially sent this to you two, it was kind of like, eh, I don't see it until we get to like the actual, the actual culture of the Hadozi. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. if anybody wants to explain it other than me, cause I've been doing a lot of talking. If anybody wants to jump in and explain it, uh, Navar, well, do you have, do you have any of it written in front of you? Do you think you could hop in and either explain uh, it off the, off the dome or read some of it? The history one, I was just looking at that. That one gets kind of weird. So there was a long tradition of Hadozi serving as spell jammer, crewmen or mercenaries for the elves of wild space. This tradition extended back to the time of the unhuman wars, uh, which I will, clarify i have no idea what the unhuman wars are but uh i don't like the way it sounds when the (laughs) elves soon realized that the dozi were far more civilized and cultured than the unhumans with which they had first been grouped the Hadozi allied with the elves at that time and they have happily served on elven vessels ever since whatever homeland they once had was forgotten to their race in their cultural memory they had always been a sail so yeah, and I I'm trying to find the specific entry, but there's other entries that you pointed out that they have this very like. <laughs> uh, oh, jump up to society. If you jump up to uh, wait, is it society? Wait, let me see. Yeah. Um, I think it is society. Where is it? No, it's not that. It's oh, languages yeah. is already it. The second paragraph of languages is kind of like yeah, huh? Yeah. Well, also uh, even in the, the society section, the second sentence, and like. This on its own wouldn't be sus, but with the other stuff, despite their superb skill as sailors, Hadozi had no spell jamming capability of their own as a race and relied on being hired by other spacefaring races. Yeah. Yeah. So there's already a eugenics thing there. Mm. Uh, well, and just a like... And then... Those... 
like just the the way that black people get filtered into physical work and physical mm-hmm. labor rather than mm-hmm. intellectual labor. Yeah, it's the quarterback yeah, running back yeah, dichotomy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, in personality, the Hadozi had a great love of the elves. The elves often employed uh, the elves employed Hadozi often, but did not mutually respect them. Oftentimes, this love of elves resulted in flattery towards them. Right. So it's a very like. Yes, a massive like mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Gross. even the sentence before yeah. that, they were not philosophers. They gave little consideration to the ethics and morals of other races. They simply wanted to do good and happy work. That that is the worst phrase. I know. The good and happy work. They <laughs> took great joy in the simplest of shipboard oh, tasks no. and chores. Uh, yeah. It's also it, like in the at ecology. the very least, it sounds like a house elf. <laughs> That's, and yeah. the ecology is like Hadozi reached adulthood earlier than humans, but had similar lifespans. Like, even to the point of like, yeah, that's aging yeah. black children. Like, mm-hmm. and this is where I started to form my opinion of it is that a lot of this doesn't sound bad unless you know the history of tropes of anti-black racism, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's one of the. I think strongest arguments for being like this is why you need black people in the room and like yeah if someone had been there being like you know what this reminds me of at that time somebody called me an ape <laughs> like yeah yeah you know and well uh, and it's also, also the fact that they take oh go ahead sorry Oh, I was just going to add that it's like, it's not just having the black person in the room, but having the black person in the room in a position where they feel comfortable to speak out. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. Uh, there's also the issue of the ship names. Uh-huh. I feel like that's another weird thing mm-hmm. where, like, they take, yeah. uh, they specifically take, they take names according to the vessel that they serve on. Like their entire. What's weird about it is Which that is typically an elven vessel. Let's yes, they that. serve elves. Who, let's be real, at least in the in the the general consciousness, maybe not at the time of three point five, but I gotta feel like immediately post Lord of the Rings this would still be present that the elves always have that like very uh upper crust very white coated yeah i was gonna say we could just say white yeah they're extremely (laughs) elves are like the whitest race Mm -hmm. in in most fantasy they're like practically scandinavian most of the time yeah uh and there's a huge level of elitism even with this i actually looked up what the inhuman wars were apparently they were two there are two wars that occurred between the elven imperial fleet uh, and the races of goblinoids and other non-human humanoids. So oh it sounds like the elves maybe had lumped the Hadozi in with like goblins, uh, and then were like, "Oh, you're one of the good ones," uh, and took them aboard the ship and <laughs> you said, "You can okay. come serve us yeah. on our ships." Uh, <laughs> you seem like a model minority. You can join Yikes. us. That's, yeah, that's Yikes. really what it feels like. Did yeah. they um, kindly volunteer to escort them to another continent? Well, and that's the thing. They don't oh, yeah, know. They, that, that's, the, they, they don't even right, remember where they came from. That's what I'm saying. just like. like Complete, yeah. Remove their culture. Yeah. As far as we know, we've always been here. Yeah. <laughs> let me see if I can find the part where it says. <sighs> um, let me see if I can find where it specifically says that they didn't. That they don't remember. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Whatever homeland they once had. Yeah. I think you already said it. Uh, whatever, oh, Navarre, what, whatever homeland they once had was forgotten. 
it's like ugh, the, the more the more we stack on top of it where it's like oh they had originally been lumped in with a bunch of subhuman beings beings that were considered mm-hmm. subhuman by the very white coated imperial fleet uh before <laughs> being singled out as being a better example and more human than the others and allowed to very cheerfully serve on their vessels where they have no they have very little culture of their own uh their culture is literally to serve and they look up to the elves and they flatter yeah. them and the whole thing is like Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. So one thing that I've, um, I forget where exactly I heard it or read it recently, but like one thing that's been sort of prevalent in a lot of the new writing that's come out that came from, uh, POCs is that we tend to write about community, about family, about like having this sense of togetherness with our people. So when we talk about the ship names, what's interesting in that writing so this is from the Stormrack PDF. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this ship name often binds Hadozi together in ways that family or clan names do for other races. A Hadozi who meets another Hadozi who has served aboard the same ship feels more of a bond with that Hadozi than with her own blood kin. So, like, yeah, we're talking about like being pulled from the place you are, being put together, looking up to the person who puts you on that ship, and then being like, "This is home." And everybody, like, you know, who cares about my sister, my mother, my daughter, whatever. Like, yeah, I, I, it's it's. Um... I like it to some extent. I would like it a lot if it weren't for every other racist trope that's in the the race, because mm-hmm. I love found family stories, especially for a mixed race person who's estranged from her white half of her family, um, like there is a certain degree of allure to the idea of your family is the people who work with you on the thing that you care about most in your life. And like, I also love, I think there was some language in there about considering the ship to be sort of like a parental figure and they would be the, and often Mm. coded female, which is a whole other topic. But um, Mm. the idea that the ship is the mother of the crew and like yeah i also love i'm from michigan i love being on the lakes i love sailing i love ships i got to actually sail on a tall ship once as a college student and you know like there is a certain degree of romance in there that i can really appreciate and not gonna lie being somebody with a prehensile tail on a tall ship would be extremely convenient (laughs) um yeah yeah but like it's because of that context that when you add this on top of it, just the erasure of any previous kinship ties, it just calls back to a lot of harmful history. And it it, it just, it's like, I mean, I guess on the one hand, thank you for justifying the, my, the existence of my career, but like... <laughs> 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 So, Joan, I, but I think, would you agree that what you're talking about is like a specific character development yeah. thing? Like, that sounds like a fun story, what you just described. Generalizing it into all of the people in this race mm-hmm. feel that way exactly, and they all look to their ship that way. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's exclusive to the Hadozi. Yeah. Like, that's where I think you get into a tricky place, because I think that there's 
we have to leave room for nuance, mm-hmm. right? Like this isn't Twitter. We're having a conversation. So there's got to be room for nuance, but I think it's important to understand like anytime we start to generalize, lump in people, make absolutes about a certain thing. That's when things get really weird and really gross and really racist. And I think specifically like in this, like even though there's things we could pull from it and say like, Oh, I like this, which you can do that a lot in a lot of stuff. Like that's why so many people play half works and half elves because it's like, well, I'm mixed race. And mm-hmm. even though this isn't the best, I still feel this specific kinship to this thing, um, which I want to explore in my own way. I think that there's that there, but I also don't like that it's exclusive um, and that it's, it's a generalization of the Hadozi race as a whole. Mm-hmm. All I was going to do was read. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Directly from the Storm Rack PDF, the actual book, just so that people know, mm. like this, what we were reading was mostly quotes from the Forgotten Realms wiki, but this is from the actual book. So yeah, if you think it. we're making some stuff up, it literally, uh, so when it says alignment, Hadozi have little room in their lives for higher philosophies of morality and ethics. They simply wish to be left alone to do their work and enjoy their lives and prefer uh, to leave others to do alone to do the same. They tend toward neutrality as a result. Then lands. Although the Hadozi do have a homeland, they no longer know or care where it is. Care. As far as any of them can remember, oh. they have simply always traveled among other races, working aboard their beloved ships and seeing what the horizon held. Accordingly, they're almost always found near the coasts and at sea. Uh, in settlements, um, they live communally. Uh, they uh, Actually, there was an interesting thing where the parents will literally leave the kids with people sharing the same ship yeah. name to go off. And it's like it's, it's seen as like a normal thing, uh, which if, no. if we were really going to try and dig, you could see parallels potentially with like slaves being sold away essentially from their kids and that sort of thing um but uh when it comes to beliefs they're not particularly religious though moderately respectful of the gods of the sea whom they learn about from other uh, sailors uh essentially it sounds like they adopt the deities of of their employers uh and then the relations is the part where really gets like hadozi genuinely adore elves almost to the point of fawning over them they get along well with most other races though they dislike races who for whatever reason seem incapable of putting in an honest day's work on deck uh hadozi and wavecrest gnomes who work together uh on the same ship are often form very strong bonds and hadozi are fascinated with the wavecrest gnomes ability to speak with seabirds so but it, the part obviously the relevant part is the elves mm. look i'm not going to sit here and try and say that this was intentional because I, I don't know i don't know if that was what they were intentionally drawing from it wouldn't surprise me but 
that's like, bruh, mm. bruh. If you'd have had some black people working on this, yeah, this would not have made it to print. Also, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead. Like, you know, it's a good book. Uncle Tom's right? Cabin. We <laughs> should write something that's like they get mad when other people like, don't put in as a hard day. Let's work. make <laughs> let's make a Birth of the Nation TTRPG. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to go ahead and pull all the rank of my $300,000 worth of student loans and say, as somebody who reaches empathy, whenever you are telling somebody else how they feel about something, you are wrong. (laughs) Because the instant they hear you say it, their feelings will change. Yes. It's just like, oh, telling people what they care about, telling people that... Uh, no, no, you present it and then you let the other person decide how they feel. I was just going to say, me and Navar made the exact same face when you started, and it was like the Grinch, like, if you made the entire bottom half of your face into a triangle. <laughs> like, mm. Yeah, like, mm. no. I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah. There's strong step and fetch yeah. vibes, I feel, from the Hidozi. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes yeah. to. Like, I, it's to the point where even if I didn't notice the parallels and I was playing them this way, I would start to feel weird about it. That there's all these people like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm glad to hell. You know, like, and mm-hmm. it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's okay. almost like the only way you could play this is to go completely against type. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it would, it, that's actually a good time to like talk about the UA entry mm-hmm. which is super vague mm-hmm. and super small before we even get to it um but um jeremy do you have yes i do uh, uh I, I can read it here uh, so, except for i i have the other three pulled up but I okay yes it says uh, hadozi are people with simian features that long ago adapted to live among the tall trees of their home world they are natural climbers with feet as dexterous as their hands even to the extent of having opposable thumbs membranes of skin hang loosely from their arms and legs when oh. stretched taut these membranes enable a hadozi to glide the first Hadozis were hunted by large natural predators. To survive in this hostile environment, they developed an instinctual sense of community. Today, that same instinct compels many Hadozis to cultivate friendships, knowing there is safety in numbers. And that is all of the flavor text that you get about like the background of it, this is the UA version, mm. but I'm guessing we won't get a mm-hmm. whole bunch based on if Morden Kanan's Monsters of the Multiverse is any indication, I'm guessing we won't get a whole bunch of deep lore on them beyond this yeah which is it's good and it's bad right because i think on the one hand it's like okay let's like let's do away with all of this stuff which is good and then on the other hand it's like but also let's not flesh it out so we're not responsible for any of the things that we write it feels Um, lazy to me which i think is yeah because so when i look at this i i'm i'm a big like it's no secret to anybody who's ever listen to my show i'm a big pathfinder 2e fan pathfinder 2e made a book called the moenge expanse which was like written by black writers about a place that's like a parallel to africa if you will um and so there's a lot of entries in there that show a lot of love that have races and or ancestries rather and people and heritages that are nuanced and fleshed out because it's written by people who have the background to do so my point here is that D could also hire all these amazing uh 
people of color to write this stuff and make it feel good. Yeah. Joan, hire Joan. Mm-hmm. Uh, make it feel good and make it make it something that, like, we shouldn't have to just be excited about a playable race because it looks cool. Like, the character art is badass. Like, I also want to look at it and go, like, you know, holy shit, black elves. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Also, yeah, they like they fight demons and they have this amazing rich culture and they do all these other amazing things like that. Like that's the stuff mm-hmm. that pulls you in. Um, and I, I, yeah. So looking at it, it's like okay, we had bad, and then we went to like, well, let's just cut it all out and just exactly, kind of like, yeah. here's the thing. Now, mm-hmm. is it more developed in Spelljammer? We don't know yet, but like you said, Jeremy, we don't have a lot of faith that that's going to change yeah. much. I was going to ask, Unearthed Arcana. I so first of all, I Navarre doesn't know this, but I think anybody who listens to the podcast regularly and heard my episode knows um, I'm three point five person. So I have a campaign that's been going for ten years and three point five that went from zero to twenty two, and I've only recently started playing five. Um, and everything from three point five that we use, we find PDFs on the internet. Um, well, we bought them at first, but now you can't. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The Unearthed Arcana, is it a lot? Is like, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to find out is like, is there another reason that might have motivated the choice to make this entry so short? Is, is it a lot of stuff jammed into a really small space? Is it, are the other entries like longer, more detailed, more fleshed out? What, What's it like? Let me see really quickly. Uh, let me see if I can find... Because when this was released, uh, I think was already when they started to strip a lot of the lore from stuff. Okay. Uh, you know what? It ultimately doesn't matter. I guess what I'm saying is that like, while I'd be inclined to give benefit of the doubt that there's other variables involved... I still, at the end of the day, would like to see, at least in the new Spelljammer, perhaps, like, rather than saying, you know, well, if I am uncomfortable talking about race, I'm not going to talk about it at all, um, then I would rather see them diversify it, like, give... Like, give multiple different Hadozi backgrounds the way that um, the humans have. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get that, like, yeah. the human thing is that we're the most diverse, which I think is a fun thing. And, like, if we're really committed to that, like, it's a it's a worthy thing. But, like, it doesn't mean that we can't include some extra cultures and backgrounds for some of these species. And I think it's... It's interesting in fifth edition so backgrounds and um oh what's the other thing that's new for fifth edition in in 30.5 you only have class and race pretty much okay but then this you have back i think i think it's only just backgrounds that they added right i guess you you can choose traits if you're on on, beyond they give you suggested traits uh by the way joe i did look up some past uh ua releases Uh and they did have a lot more flavor text specifically i looked up the ones for the gothic lineages Mm. uh that came out i believe in 2020 let me see if it says on here no that came out in 2021 uh came out in 2021 it was in advance of the van richten's guide to ravenloft book and the dampier gets a full paragraph plus a whole section about uh hungers and origins uh complete with tables and then you get to the traits with the hex blood you have two paragraphs followed by 
a bunch of stuff about suggesting how you came about. Like, there's way more. When we even look at the Changeling stuff, which I don't know when the Races of Eberron came out, but that has a full quote, mm. plus, a, plus one, two, three, four... It looks like four or five full, five, six paragraphs before we get to a single mechanical feature. Damn, uh, so I think that this is really something that they've <laughs> tried. Draw, to give I, you I the think this is like the, the new doubt. way of doing it. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that um, that three point five doesn't really have is uh, subclasses. So in fifth edition, literally every class has a subclass. Um, in 3.5, uh, really the only people that have subclasses kind of is like the ranger. You either go to weapon or you go ranged and like, but, um, and the warlock doesn't exist at all. So, uh, yeah, and the, like, I a lot of the, some of the core classes and races from fifth edition are in, um, like, extra materials, like, we played with the core three books for most of our campaign. Um, and so like before I got into fifth edition, I didn't know about tieflings. I didn't know about warlocks. I didn't know about like college of what the fuck bard. Um, like <laughs> I didn't know about any of that shit. And I had a point in bringing this up, but I certainly can't remember it. <laughs> Was it to do with the amount of like flavor text and detail that they had yeah. written for the specific races in 3.5? I think, and this is a general opinion I've started to form about the difference between 3.5 and 5, is that um, in 3.5, a lot of your customization comes, weirdly enough, from the math itself. Um, in that, like... So, as a rogue, I got the most skill points out of everybody, which is one of the reasons why going from 3.5 to 4, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Um, but <laughs> uh, a rogue in... 3.5 gets 10 plus intelligence modifier skill points every level. And each plus one Damn. is a directly a plus one to your role. So, um, also because my husband foolishly enabled us to um, get a deck of many things real early in the campaign, my diplomacy was like plus 30 by the time I was level 12. Like, it's ridiculous. Oh I, so could, I could so talk you into all kinds of shit. Um, also, I had a castle. Um, but and, but also, even just, like, my tumble check by the time I was level 20 was, like, 35. And that was purely from putting ranks into mm. it because I was getting, like, 16 intelligence points every level. But, on the other hand, yeah. our paladin, who is lawful stupid, we love him, but he's lawful stupid... Um, he got no intelligence points whatsoever. He got some feats, but not as many as a fighter would. And so, like, starting to customize his character, I think 5th edition makes role-playing way easier for newcomers because it gives you all of that stuff. Yep. And mm -hmm. that 3.5 edition really allows you to be more specific and precise when you're creating your character, but it I think it's harder unless you're a seasoned role player. Um, the reason that relates to this discussion yeah. is because oh. I think shortening the descriptions and giving people less material is the wrong way to go. I agree. I think that's that's the thing about fifth edition is like, yes, it's easy to get into because it's easy to consume. But that also means that what you're consuming is just that brief part. So 
anything that you go with from there is like, if you're a new player to this, then you're just like, all right, I guess I just play it this way. Um, you know, you don't really have any context of like the culture. And so if you're, you're doing that and you have somebody else who's playing a high elf or something, right. And they have all this other stuff that's attached to it or a changeling, then it's like, okay, well, where does, where does this fit in for me? I think it's important when in these games, in these fantasy TTRPGs to have enough in there that it's like, here's what the typical culture looks like, but you can like, here's how you can do this on your own. Here's how you can make it unique to you. And yeah, you know, games that have a lot of those like feats, like 3.5 Pathfinder first and second edition, like it's, it's, it's intimidating, but it also helps you flesh out like, Oh, like if I take this general feat, I can do this thing specifically that my character can do that. Not everybody in the world can do. And that helps me feel better about it. Plus I have all this old, like lore about like the culture and the situation around them. And like, maybe my character grew up in a different place and they want to go back and see that or whatever. Like there's stuff that's there that makes it feel good. But when you have like literally a race of space apes who have no home, uh, other than the ship they live on um, and don't want to associate with any of their family uh, other than the people that are on their ship. Like it just seems, I don't know, cultureless. Yeah. Like outside of like, it's like, yeah, this, this place, this yeah. workplace is a family. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's this is a ship in the astral sea. Whenever, got people to go. say that, whenever institutions say that they're always wrong, but then right again, because it's wrong. And that like, what they mean by it is like, we love you and want to take care of you. And that's a lie. Mm -hmm. But when you take it yeah. to the point of like, my family is dysfunctional as fucking kind of toxic. Then it's true. Yeah, <laughs> then that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll be as frustrated around us as you are around your actual family. It's just like uh, talking about politics yeah. at Thanksgiving. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess uh, talking about how much you're getting paid is like the equivalent, uh, the workplace equivalent of talking about religion or politics. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah, what I was going to say was it's really interesting that you're both bringing this up because I actually liked in when they released Morden Canaan's and took out most of the flavor text because really that was where the contention was coming from where people were getting frustrated like when certainly for us with three black halflings we would say well the way you're describing orcs the language that we're using here mm -hmm. has a lot of racist and colonialist uh terms and essentially you're drawing from that history in order to describe to create and describe these creatures uh whereas when we divorced it from that i went like oh great so i can make it anything now but then it's really interesting to hear the yeah. alternate uh, perspective where it's like well what if you've never played before and mm -hmm. you want some guidance on how to play this particular mm -hmm. character also and I, I wonder if a middle ground might be to have spe uh to specify that in this particular setting there, these are the cultures, like, here's some information about the cultures that we have in this setting that is, like, in D&D, in &D, in 5th edition, it seems to be the Forgotten Realms that mm -hmm. they're using. But in other editions, obviously, they've had Spelljammer, they've had other settings. that they Eberron, uh, which is half in, half out, it feels like, with 5e. Um, but there's, like, there's a way of saying, like, oh, yeah, I think even in, in some of the Eberron materials, it says, in Eberron, this is how this particular race 
functions. Like this is what they are like culturally. So mm-hmm. you can use that as a jumping off point. But it's like you can also in your game, they don't have to be that. I wish that there and maybe it says something like that in like the player's handbook. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's not something that comes through for most people or like most players yeah. or DMs. I think they read the culture that's descript- described there and then just reproduce that in their games. So if you have brutal, savage, unintelligent orcs that everyone is afraid of because they're monsters in the Forgotten Realms... Even if a person's not playing in the Forgotten Realms, they just say, oh, okay, I guess that's what orcs are. And a lot mm. of times we'll just reproduce that in their own games because that's what they're being told. Right. Uh, so I wonder if there's like a middle ground, if the middle ground would be bringing in people of diverse backgrounds in order to help write that flavor text and culture in the first place. That's what I would do. just stripping it all out. I'm nodding my head, yes. I mean, yeah. if I was like, yeah. if I was going to yeah. write a white paper about this, which um, for those unfamiliar with academia, a white paper is something that an academic will write to sort of give an idea of, based on the theory about this, this is what we think the best practices are for people who are doing work in this field. Um, and if I was going to write a white paper on it, I think I would say, like, um, if you're going to continue to use stuff that was created in a time period where there were all these biases and we didn't check them, then I think you need to A, acknowledge that those biases exist and that they're in there. Um, Write that in. Like, signpost it. Be like, I think the move of saying, like, this is what some racist people would say. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think there could be a little bit more uh, copy editing finesse in there, maybe. Um, Some racist people who used to be us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, I think you need yeah. to. Yeah. I think it's okay to tweak your own nose a little bit. Like that was that was yeah. forty years ago. <laughs> it was not that long. But also, I mean, it was pretty long for a goblin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, mm. The, I think the other thing I would say is like make sure that your writers' room is diverse. If you don't have enough people mm. in your writers' room to make it diverse, expand your writers' room. Like, there is no shortcut to this stuff. Like, if you want to be good, and capital G, good, and you want to, like, be ethical, and you want to include people, you got to do the homework. And, like, I think, for me, the way to do it well is to... to rely on plurality and give us give us the version so let's say that they are based on black people okay give us the the liberia version of the hodozi what let me see the group of hope hodozi is it liberia or is it it's one of them one of the countries in africa that was founded by uh former enslaved people that they created as a place to be able to sort of fulfill the desire to go back to africa um I know there's a country in Africa that that's. How yeah, I mean, the name started, Liberia but... might make sense because it's like liberty. Yeah, uh, I'd have to. Say yeah, that. I think that's what it is. And it's in um, West Africa, right? And then, or like, let me get the Haiti version of the Hadozi. Let me hear about the mm. the Hadozi who rebelled and kicked all the elves out of their homeland and actually hate the elves. And like, if you're gonna tell me this is how one group of people feel, tell me. They're not all of them are going to feel the same way. So give me some examples of what the other people feel like. Um, mm-hmm. Give these this culture some depth, some even I mean, even in Catholicism, for example, a culture that is very uniform. You have people who disagree with the Pope all the time and they, they do it in big ways and they do it in little ways. Mm-hmm. And like, I think cutting things back it 
feels to me like the sort of defense. Yeah, like a cop out and like a defensive reaction when what we're doing is not attacking. And I think that's what a lot of like white folks fall into that pattern of acting defensively to something that is not an attack, which creates Mm. a paradigm of conflict that doesn't need to be there. It can just be an opportunity to say, here's what would make me feel better. And I would love it if you would include that in addition to what you're also already doing. I think there are I don't want to erase the fact that there are things that are harmful that sometimes need to be taken out altogether, but I think the more black folks you show, the less racist it's going to be because the the more representation we'll have. Like I I mm-hmm. the more stuff will get yeah. like called out before it gets to Mm-hmm. Uh, well, before we end up with deck apes who right. just love to who love to do good work, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely think like th- I mean to just kind of mirror what you guys have said. Like, I think it's definitely a, a situation of like, uh, fine if we can't write the lore, nobody gets to write the lore, and it's like, yeah. well, that's not that's not what we wanted. We wanted the right people to write the lore. Um, and I think it's just like people who have the historical background, the context, the the sensitivity, um, and the empathy to write it in a in a way that's going to make it feel good. I was looking through uh, the Moonga- the Moonga Expanse book because you were talking about like what what's the middle ground. So like they wrote a whole ten ten pages on on black mm-hmm. orcs, right? Um, and like what that looks like and like positive relationships with the half orcs that they have and the people around them and like working with the elves. And so, yeah, I think there's definitely a right way to do it. And I don't think minimizing it and just taking it out to a paragraph is, is necessarily the right way. I mean, if you look at the reception that the radiant Citadel has had recently, the positive reception, because I'm going to ignore all the racist bigots. But like, if you look at that reception, clearly it's something that people enjoy. We want to see this stuff. I am a person who loves to do homebrew. I love to make my own worlds. I love to make my own stories, but I am not an anthropologist. You know, I, my, my, my understanding of other cultures is limited to what I've learned in my life. And so having something that's written, that feels good to look back on and say like, Oh, okay, this is a really cool lore thing that I can incorporate. Or, you know, your, your random encounter this week is you come across an orc walking through the jungle by himself. And he has this bag of like demon heads because that's what he does. He's a demon hunter. And like, you know, he greets you and he shares food with you and stuff like, like that feels good. And it's something that I have that I can fall back on. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people out there in the world who are also not anthropologists and, and can go like, okay, cool. Like this is now, now I have this whole, you know, amazing entry on Hadozi and I know how to make it feel good. And I know how to incorporate it into my player's background. And and I know how to like weave this into a story so that what they do as their character feels significant. And they're not just a random person that could be anybody um, because yeah. we're, we're telling stories. And I think it's important to like give, give our players the opportunity to have a fulfilling story. If you have the capacity to do that. And so, yeah, I think having the backup from the person who made the entry is going to feel a lot better um, for a majority of the audience. I also want to just throw out there, you know who does have the money to hire anthropologists? Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. 
You know who also has the money to hire freelance writers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know who is both of those things? Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Joan Miller. How are you? Joan of the Coast. Uh, I'm available. I, I, yeah, I fully agree. And that's what you're pointing out. <laughs> Coast of Lake Erie, or I don't know what's Well, there Michigan. is one There's called Lake Michigan. That's true. That's true. Coast, she, Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> Wizards Lake of Michigan. the Lakeside Coast. Um, <laughs> the. Coast. <laughs> The uh, what you were just pointing out is actually a very good point, because I've seen people say that actually in various online chat rooms that I've that I've looked at, essentially people saying, but I I like having orcs the way that they are, because then I have an easy thing that I could if I just want an orc or if I want an enemy or if I want something, I can grab that and stick it in there. And usually it's. I've taken that as like a racist sort of thing where it's like, but it's good. If I need like an easy way of describing something, I'm just, boop, there you go. But if you switch it to being like not an inherently weird messed up, like, oh yeah, these people are just bad monsters. And you switch it to like, well, actually these, they're very notable that these people actually have a group, uh, uh, a, a, an organization among them that hunts demons. Uh, Cause they had a, like there was a, a country or a country of orcs that had a horrible run in, like they were invaded for, by like forces of the abyss. And there was like an you know, escape, and there are demons now living in the land. And these orcs mm-hmm. go around and just straight up hunt demons. There's a full organization of them, and it's like, oh dang, this uh, orcs hunting demons is so different than orcs like that just kill and and like steal from people all the time. Mm-hmm. They just and yet both yeah. can be like if like you said, you can he can show up and share something with the party, or literally show up and like, hey, there's a demon in this area. Can you help me? Like it's hunting people, and it turns into like an episode sort of demon slayer and now you get to fight like a cool crazy demon thing mm-hmm. uh and you're it you have like an interesting yeah. npc now as well as a a storyline and a combat and maybe some exploration i fully agree I, it, this is the first time that i've heard somebody frame it in like a non weird racist context where it's like it can just be helpful to have a reference point for how would we like to introduce these people and i have to i have to say i agree uh you've convinced me uh that it would be not that would be helpful for a lot of people to have something uh to use as a basis i did want to ask us though oh sorry uh uh, go ahead and respond but i did have a question after that i was just gonna say i think to that end like one thing i think is a mistake that many companies do is like you you say like okay look you know not all drow are evil not all orcs are evil anymore um but also we're going to put an entry in the monsters manual uh for drow and orcs and it's like well (laughs) so i think i think what's important there because there's i've seen the distinction what's important there is to say like here's our monster manual these are of actual monsters some of them may be um of the same capacity of intelligence as humans and they have you know cultures that can vary right others are our monsters and then also here's an npc gallery of how you can run culturally these characters if you need a quick reference um because an npc gallery that feels to me like okay cool now i have something that i can fall back on in a positive way even if it is like you know not all the not all the npcs have to be good either like you could have like you know here's a bad pirate or here's a thief whatever um yeah but but having those specific entries in the monster manual is counterintuitive to what you're trying to accomplish by by saying, oh, we're, yeah. we're going the opposite direction. I think that it sends two different messages. I agree, and so. I actually was going to point out earlier that the Hadozi and the 3.5 Stormrack are in both sections. They're in the monster section, and they're in the PC exactly. section. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
It's but true. I just found the I just found the monster section, and interestingly, yeah. in that section, they specify that deck ape is an ignorant term, but not in the PC version. Like it's in the same book, uh, but they say like in that section it says only those who do not know the, who do not know better treat them as deck apes. You would think they would put that in the PC, yeah. but not in the monster because the PC would know more about their own culture than people who exactly. see them as monsters. Whatever. The monsters are the monsters we've what? become along the Jeremy, way. Jeremy, what's the name <laughs> the, the of the... real monster <laughs> was inside us all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just didn't go far uh, enough in the book to find it. The real it monsters was, were the friends. It wasn't inside of me. It was inside of this Pokeball that's on my belt. No. Um, <laughs> the... What's the name of the author that you guys collaborated with to do that book of uh, Traps, Puzzles, and Dungeons? Oh, oh, um... I, I have oh, it somewhere. I have to look this up. Um, Believe it or not, I did not buy this book for myself. My husband bought it for me for my birthday. Um, it was... I even I even have the tab open on my computer. Jeff. Jeff Ashworth. Yes. He has... You have a thousand tabs open I on your computer, do. Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> That's not helpful. Um, <laughs> you you listened to the show freaks before. Me out. <laughs> Well, no, when I was on the show, you had, you were trying to show me a video and there was like a hundred tabs open. I'm like, Jeremy, what are you doing? If you don't have a thousand tabs open on your computer. Yeah. You're just organized. Shit. What was it? Were you going to, you were saying about the book? Oh yeah. He also has, so he has that book. He has another one that is. Uh, that one was Puzzles, Traps, and Dungeons. One was Random Encounters. And then there's one that is um, NPCs. And I think that, like, when you said, like, breaking it out into an NPC gallery, I'm like, yeah, that's a thousand percent what they should do. There should be a gallery of NPCs and a gallery of monsters. Because for one thing, it's really confusing to go into the monsters manual looking for like humans and trying or like and especially because some of the things are categorized in a weird way like um like when you're looking for like a beholder it's under like aberrations or something like that or like the groups of things can be in weird ways and i think npcs also since it's like you got a hadozi in the monsters manual but you're only going to be able to show me one potential hadozi npc and like that's only going to be useful to a very select group of people. Whereas like if you can do a whole book, like if there was a fourth core book and it was just NPC, the big book of NPCs, like, and it just was like, here's five different Hadozi characters. Here's five different humans. Here's five different elves. Um, and like, we're going to do a bunch of different classes and like, here's some guidelines on how to generate more NPCs and just stuff like that. Cause like, I know that stuff is in there, but I yeah. think like just basic Hadozi book... traits that you could take and slap onto another. Cause there are like archers and knights and stuff. So if you mm-hmm. wanted to do like a Hadozi knight, here are some specific Hadozi traits that you can then be like, Oh, the knight can glide stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Or even just like a flow chart. That's like, here's how to make a quick NPC of this race or like mm. and here's how to add, like choose some mm. stuff for them and this is what they you know i i yeah. would i've been hardcore binging dimension 20 for the, like the last three weeks um and uh izzy 
posted a short about Abria talking to her about making flowcharts for decision making in combat, mm. and I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, I would probably end up fixating on making it look pretty, and then it would take me forever and be ultimately useless. But <laughs> for people who don't fixate on that stuff, I think it's really a really smart idea <laughs> to have flowcharts to help people make decisions because I think that is one of the things that slows down games and and being able and for DMs I think one of the most intimidating thing is being able to create all those characters especially like I mean because so many new people are coming into these games all the time right like Spelljammer might be the thing that brings in a new person to try it or somebody to be like hey you know what I want to try my hand mm -hmm. at running a game and then it's like okay cool well now you have to make a whole crew of pirates uh and and etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like figure out how to make those stats work in balance and and not kill your party in the first in the first encounter and so yeah like having like that's the point like i think there's you can definitely do too much as a game designer and make more things than are necessary but i think in a situation where you have a world that you've built for people to play in sometimes it's very helpful to give people um additional things that they can that they can look to to help them build that stuff because not everybody is a world builder not everybody is a home brewer um not everybody is an anthropologist so like we, we really got to like look at that if we're talking about game design and be like okay how do we how do we fix this so that it feels good like it's lore that we're happy with that people aren't going to be upset about and we didn't just cop out on and it also uh can help people get into the game that we want them to buy and play mm -hmm. and love. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, before I, uh, I wanted to ask one more question before I do that. I just wanted to, uh, mention that in the YouTube video that is talking about the Hadozi, uh, in which, uh, Todd Kenrick mm. is interviewing, um, Jeremy Crawford and Chris Perkins, they basically just re they basically just repeat the same things that are in the UA version that the Hadozi uh, had existed that were originally inspired by another race of creatures from the Star Frontiers game, which are the Yazirians uh, or the Yaziria in Star Frontiers, yeah, yeah from a TSR, TSR game, game in 1982. But that essentially they were influenced. He just says they were influenced by Planet of the Apes, and then talks about how they in this version. Version. In fifth edition, they come from a world that had a bunch of trees, uh, and it's like the same stuff that you'd see. So my guess is that they're they're not going to be expanding on that a whole lot. But what I did want to ask was, and I think we've kind of already gotten to answer this, but uh, just so we can state it, like restate it as like a sort of a, a I don't know a thesis for this episode. When taking stuff that has a a a rough past, or at the very least, a questionable past, uh, and trying to update it in for a modern or contemporary audience, as they're trying to do with Hadozi. What steps do we think that they should take? Uh, we can just do like a round table, like jump in oh. whatever you want, but everybody can say what they want, essentially. <laughs> you can um, go first, Joe. So I would say first, um, absolutely go in full well knowing that the you know what let me back that up first things first hire a dramaturg because dramaturgs specifically i know most people don't know what the fuck a dramaturg is and i'm saying the word and you're like what is that um but their <laughs> job at least in theater is to research the context 
the historical context and help with things that like a continuity editor might do on a film set, but it's not just continuity editing. It's not just making sure that things are continuous on camera. It's like making sure, like one thing I remember is I was in a play and there was a slang term of BDEs and I was like, the fuck is that? And the dramaturg told us that it was a slang term for a type of underwear that people wore in the forties. And so it's just like, Mm. Like, or like when I was doing in the eighth grade, I was in Romeo and Juliet. And I remember one of the lines that I struggled to learn the most was palm to palm is Holy Palmer's kiss because I had no fucking clue what it meant. But when you learn that a palmer is someone who is praying like a a petitioner and palm to palm is Holy Mm -hmm. Palmer's kiss and yeah. you realize that Juliet in that moment is supposed to be dancing palm to palm with Romeo. You're like, oh shit, she's got the she's got the wit. This is great. This is hilarious. And I still remember <laughs> this stupid thing that I learned 12 years ago. No, not 12 years ago. Shit. Oh my god, I'm so old. Um, <laughs> 22 <laughs> years ago. Uh, and I, so I would think the dramaturg. A dramaturg oh, the dramaturg ahead. is the person who would explain to you like, this is the slang. This is what they're implying in that moment. This is the like. This is what the teenagers of that time period would have been vibing on, and like, and I think a dramaturg in modern media culture can be the person who is both the like, this might be a little racist, but also the person who is like, here's the context for this stuff. And here's the parts of the context that I think are important for you, the creators, to know in order to do this in a responsible way. And then I would say the second thing, hire an anthropologist, because why the fuck not? You can. Tons of us are out here and we don't have jobs because tenure track jobs are disappearing. So I would say, like, there are experts on this stuff out there and available who would love to be doing something this cool and creative. And Mm. we need work. And we want to help like it's a win-win-win-win situation um and then ultimately i would just say make sure like just you got to be transparent and upfront about it hang a signpost on it say like we know this shit was racist we want to continue it because there are parts of it that we love and we're going to work to both acknowledge the mistakes we made in the past and do better in the future. Excellent. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, yeah, to, to that same vein, like we see this a lot in teacher RPG space is that we have cultural consultants, uh, sensitivity consultants, and writers. And so I think they clearly know that this came from a space that wasn't right, right? So now get those people on board with your it's like you hire these folks which you should like let's pay these people money but like hire these folks to look at this stuff and say like okay here are things that would be acceptable if we're going to make a culture based around this thing these are things that are not okay um and then let the writers write it and then and then those people check it before it gets through to the editor and then you can put it out because i think that they're the reason that those jobs are coming up a lot more now is because we as consumers um, and some people who also write games are looking at it and going, oh, yeah, like this, this isn't going to work. Um, I mean, a great example of this is so Chris Spivey, who wrote Harlem Unbound for Call of Cthulhu and also um, uh, I'm sorry, Chris, uh, I cannot remember the name of the new game. 
But it's mm. a it's a Western game. It's a Western um, like horror game. Darker Hue Studios is what the company that Chris has. But anyway, so he he does a lot of historical context. He gives like Haunted very West. specific information about historical things, and then Haunted West. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, Chris. Um, but yeah, so he so in Haunted West specifically, it's it's trying to shed a light on. Uh, all of the uh, minorities uh, of the past who also lived in the West and allowing people, like giving people a space to play black cowboys and, and, and other races and, and other genders and, and, and uh, sexual preferences. So he talked about when he was on my show about having written a section, sending it to a sensitivity consultant and they just scratched it all out in red. Cause it was like, this isn't, this isn't going to work and then and then fixing it and making it work and so it's like i think that that's important and one you have to have humility right to be like okay i made a mistake let's fix this let's learn from this situation but two had that not had he not gone through that process that could have been something that would have possibly created mm -hmm. uh, a bad situation right or made people upset or offended um and and who knows i don't know what what the contents of that word, so I can't say, but like, I think it's just important as an example to say, like, there's a way to do this right. Mm -hmm. And I think that mm -hmm. that's the way. Have those people in place, pay them the money that they deserve and put out a product that you can be proud of that gives people the, the space they need uh, to play those games and to have the reference and also yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. just create a beautiful game. Uh, both of you have basically broken this down to such a degree. I'm not even sure if there's much left to say. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, hire <laughs> hire people who can do the proper research, the content, or dry, or excuse me, uh, hire a dramaturg who can actually do the research on the context and give you that context. Hire an anthropologist to help you come up with the, with the uh, specifics of a culture. Uh, and then hire people of color in prominent positions and actually listen to what they say. Because, look... We've had at least one person on this show who used to work for Wizards of the Coast and then famously left because of the, of the working environment there and the difficulty they had trying to get any ideas through. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I think episode. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> it's um, a good one. Shout out to Orion. How you doing? Hope you're doing yeah. well. Um, but Shout out the, to Orion. Uh, speaking of Dimension Twenty, uh, but the you gotta you gotta hire yeah. the people and actually listen to them and not just listen to them but put them in positions where you mm -hmm. kind of have to listen to them <laughs> like hire them put them in charge of stuff yeah. mm -hmm. so that when when these works are being made don't let a Graham Barber situation happen where he writes this great story and then you have an old white man literally come in and strip out and stick strip out all the cool stuff and and stick in a lot of uh, regressive uh, racist tropes in there into what mm -hmm. had previously been a, a really interesting mm -hmm. uh, and unusual campaign. Uh, have the like, let them actually influence the work properly uh, and value their voices. Uh, and yeah. I think that, yeah, I agree. And I also agree with you, Joan, that it's good to acknowledge, like it would be really nice if Wizards of the Coast, which I guess they kind of did, uh, they back in like 2020 said that they were trying to fix certain things like they made a statement but for example when they release whatever the next version of 5e is mm -hmm. I would love it if they were like hey a lot of the changes in this book were made for these reasons mm -hmm. and like there were these are some of the specifics mm -hmm. maybe you could say stuff like you don't have to go into detail about every single thing but there were you can list some of the races and just mm -hmm. say that in general we felt like the way that we were approaching race and ancestry and lineage in 
in uh, previous versions uh, was not appropriate anymore, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I feel like that would be a really nice acknowledgement. Uh, and then you don't have to spend tons of time on it. I don't think you need to <laughs> explicitly reference the slurs yeah. and the, the various lore. But you should at least yeah. say, hey, we, we messed up. And we, we done goofed. Hey, guys, you can't say deck apes anymore. Sorry. I don't, you know. Yeah. It's a, yeah. <laughs> Only they can say it. Only they can say it. Exactly. It's <laughs> like murder now. Yeah. It has different connotations when a Hadozi says it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, does anybody have any last thoughts? My deck apes! Where my deck apes at? Shame on a deck ape! Yeah. We got to run game on a deck ape! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think we should probably. <laughs> I'm going to scurry oh, away. Yeah. Yeah, my deck ape from another ship. <laughs> from another yep. uh, mothership. So uh, does, let, we'll start uh, with the with the plugs. Uh, Joan, do you have anything that you would like to plug? I know you plugged I, a little bit at the top, but feel free to replug yeah. or throw in any new plugs. I actually do have a plug now. Um, I Well, in addition to being at A underscore wild underscore Agafan on the tweets, um, you can find me hanging around the Three Black Halflings Discord a lot. Um, there are all kinds of fun things that Jeremy and I are cooking up for the future. Um, and uh, you can also catch me on my very first actual play um, on Girls Run These Worlds, which is their nice. Twitter. Um, and I am playing Onyx Kasubo, a... As Nyx-born Azamar Paladin of Nilia uh, in Ooh. Mythic Odysseys of Theros no. on Sundays. Are they <laughs> femme? Yes. Wear a lot okay. of makeup, like, just, yeah, beautiful braids. I I, I could be wrong. I have, I, I know for I, sure that I, there's people I know that are on that show, um, but I also listen I to a ton of content, so my brain is scrambled. I think I might be the only black Tune in to find out if Navarre is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Find out. <laughs> I'll look it up. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. Uh, but anyways, it's fun. Um, I almost murdered a guy on the first day, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Ooh. Check us out. Yeah. Uh, Navarre, uh, you have to plug? Yeah. Also, I'm available, sure. wizards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hire Joan. Um, yes. Hashtag hire Joan. Uh, yeah, hashtag hire Joan. Um, yeah, I am Navar. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Navar SNP. That's N A V A A R S N P for Secret Nerd Podcast. Um, or also at uh, Nav- uh, Secret NRD Social for the actual podcast. Um, yeah, again, it's a podcast about uh, talking to people about their experiences in the TTRPG space with a focus on diversity and inclusion had a ton of amazing conversations um with amazing people uh jeremy uh jasper and so many folks i'm on like episode 65 now uh it's kind of insane um but yeah it's uh it's a it's a lot of fun you can also check me out running um some one shots on my show and over the next six months doing some very interesting things with uh, amazing cool people so just keep an eye out i also make games i should say that because i forget to do this all the time i also make games uh navar snp at or dot itch dot io i forget how it works but yeah mm. you can They're find cool my links games too. on the website thank you yeah so yeah secretnerdpodcast.com you can find all the links there for everything you need but um yeah thank you i mean it is amazing to be the sixth black halfling 
I'm gonna let Joan be number five. Uh, even though five is my favorite mm-hmm. number, I I think mm-hmm. it's. I mean, you have way more uh, educational experience than I'll I do. I'll be six, this. honestly. <laughs> I I'm okay with that because I do love threes. <laughs> okay. If you I have D twenties, you should roll initiative. See who goes. Yes, <laughs> we should. Okay. Oh my god. Oh, my god. Hold on. Fuck yeah. Here we go. All right. No Wait, modifiers. Oh shit. Flat rolls. I got a ten. Okay. Oh, I got a three. So. Oh, Navarre is in fact the sixth black halfling. Well, Jones you know what? Fifth. He's actually the fifth black halfling because I'm a half elf. <gasps> what? Sorry about You're it. a half halfling, half elf? Am I? <laughs> yes, because that's how short I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An elfling. You're a an half, elfling. A I'm half-halfling. an elfling. Yeah. <laughs> the first black elfling. <laughs> I am. Uh, once. Jeremy and I were talking and we accidentally oh no I found a typo on a website that was promoting you guys that accidentally wrote <laughs> yes. three half black links yeah. oh my and god that's we will not I say which am. website it was because no, they no, apologized no, no, no. and re and oh, no, and it was typo. one typo of like 50 times that was on the page but it was just hilarious oh. to me personally and I, and Jeremy was like that's the name of our group chat and I was like yep three half yep. three half black links <laughs> three half black links uh, that's so incredible. <laughs> uh, and I, I guess yeah, you're already listening to the show, so I don't need to pl- uh, to to plug the show. Other than to say, you can follow the show on Twitter at three. This is number three, Black Halflings. We're also on Patreon. We are also uh, TB. Uh, excuse me, Patreon.com/slash/tbhalflings. If you want to get some behind the scenes stuff, uh, potentially hear. Uh, I haven't done kickbacks with either of you. At some point, I'll have to do kickbacks with both. Yes. Uh, but uh, kickbacks, we have kickbacks. We have uh, we do live streams on there from time to time. We do ha- halfling hangouts. We have ad-free versions of the episodes. Uh, we have talkback episodes after the uh, actual play episodes. There's a lot of stuff. whole lot of stuff. whole lot of material. Uh, and Oh, and I'm Jeremy Cobb. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JeremyCobb1. This Cobb with two Bs, the number one. That's it. So long, Shire Folk. So, so long, long, Shire Folk. Shire folk. That was a HeadGum Podcast.